Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. You're coming to us from the, the studios of the Coming Home Network. Uh, thank you for joining us, not just on this program, but on other Deep in Scripture programs. Uh, today, my guest is Jim Anderson, uh, actually a, a former guest from many Deep in Scriptures. Hello, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Marcus? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. For those of you that might be listening to this program sometime in the future, um, we just want to let you know we're coming, we're recording this program toward the end of April 2020. And if you will, that pinpoints us in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. And so it's directly, greatly affected our lives and our work, as any of you out there listening know. The stay-at-home policies, the social distancing, in some ways it's made it more difficult to do these deep in Scripture programs. Uh, it's harder to find guests. And uh, Jim and I are doing this from, I'm at the, stu uh, the office, not in the studio, but at the office of the Coming Home Network. And you're, Jim, coming to me from a distance. I'm two hours away in Chillicothe, Ohio, where I live. And um, I'm in our family prayer room, looking out over the camera at uh, the Adoration Chapel of the convent, which I can't go to, <laughs> but Jesus is still there. Our lives have, have truly been changed in many ways, and, and I'm not, I'm speaking to the choir. You, of course, know that. And so I thought what we do on this deep in, this episode of Deep in Scripture is for the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the book of James, and how it uh, unexpectedly had a direct connect to this life. When we began the book of James, we didn't know, really, that we were going to be in this mess. And then we found out over the weeks that certainly it seemed of the Lord that he brought those scriptures to our mind so we could look through them as a lens at this life that we're now living um, you know, like I said, I haven't seen Jim in a number of weeks because we can't really get together. But what I thought I'd invite Jim to do, and I'm hoping to invite other staff members in the near future, is we're returning to a previous genre of deep and scripture programs called memorable verses. And I've asked Jim to bring with him uh, a verse that's been important to him, but that particularly speaks to him during this difficult time. Have you done that, Jim? Yes, I have. It's ready, willing, and able okay, right well, here. This is the first time, Jim, I think you've joined me on this particular genre of deep in scriptures. You and I have about 100 previous deep in scriptures. Yeah. Those uh, were, most of those were on Ephesians. Well, took us two years to get through Ephesians? Ephesians and Matthews and Matthew and a number of other things. But the the procedure that we do in this program, which Gary Mashuda once called a slap-down apologetics, he, he enjoyed it when he and I did it, is it's kind of a five-step process. I'm coming to the table. I'll share a verse that I consider memorable um, that has helped me during this time. And then, and then I'll talk about it and then invite you to join mm -hmm. in the conversation about my verse. Right. But you don't know at this point. Right. And then when I'm we're done with mine, I'll invite you to share the verse you brought to the table, which you haven't told me about. Let you talk about it for a while. Then I'll add some comments. And then when we're done, 
will bring the two verses together and see how they fit, whether they do or not. They might be far apart as left and right field, but do they come together to help us uh, deal with the present life that we're living? Sound fair, Jim? Sounds like a plan. All right. So the verse that I'm bringing that is one I know you know by heart, Jim, and I would say a very, I can't imagine a Christian not having heard this verse at some point in their life, but it, for me, it's, it's been a very important verse all of my adult Christian life, whether I was a Protestant, Protestant pastor, or now as a Catholic. And, um, and it's, it's been very important during this time. I, I uh, probably a day doesn't go by when I'm not thinking about what this verse says. And it comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm reading from the RSV, which is almost exactly parallel to the old Catholic Vulgate. And Paul writes, we know that in everything, God works for good with those who love him or called according to his purpose. Now, in essence... This very important verse, which comes almost in the middle of the book of Romans, right directly in the middle of his argument, really in some ways expresses a truth that extends throughout the history of, Christ, of the salvation history. And it's, it's a reminder that God is always with us. And, and I've come to see this even in a more deep, deeper way since I've become Catholic. It was important to me as a Protestant. Um, you know, in other words, um, for me, the point here was as a Calvinist, you know, it ends with who are called according to his purpose. So from a Calvinist perspective, we looked at, you know, those that are called and chosen and predestined and all of those ideas. And, and so for us, from a Calvinist perspective, I thought if in fact we were called we, we weren't called because of anything we did. We didn't earn it. And because we didn't do anything to earn it, from a Calvinist perspective, you can't do anything to lose it. So from a Calvinist perspective, I interpret this verse to mean if I've been called by God, then he's going to work everything according to good. That's interesting. On my tradition, before I was Lutheran, I was Methodist. So we would have seen God works all things for the good for those who love him. Yeah, yeah. We would have seen it from the other perspective. You would have put your foot down on the other side right. of the scale. And, uh, and I understand that fully. And I think there's absolute truth in that because there is a mystery for both Methodists and Calvinists and Catholics to understand the calling of God. There's a mystery there. It's not an either or, it's a both hand. It, there's a mystery there. But the way that I've come to see this in a unique way, uh, I would express in a couple ways. For one, um, when you look at this in the Greek, and I'm not going to quote that now, but the reason I went to the Greek is that the order of the words are slightly different than the phrase here. And the order of the words would be, first, we know that, or we know this. So it's almost like Paul is saying, Here's something we know, colon. And then he says, for those who love God, with those who love God, all things cooperate or work together for good 
with those who are called according to his purpose. Now, the reason that I, I like it in that interpretation, number one, it seems to emphasize it's possible that Paul wasn't writing impromptu some new thing, but that he was reminding this people of something they've memorized, that they've known that may go back far before Paul. Who knows? Maybe it was something that Jesus said to his apostles. In other words, this promise that for those who love God, all things work together, cooperate for good with those who are calling to his, calling to his purpose. Now, the second thing, going along with what you uh, suggested, you know, as a Calvinist, I put my foot down on the called side. And as an, a, a Wesleyan, you put your foot down on the love side. And as a Catholic, we emphasize the both and. That there's the there's the, the reaching out of God's grace to us. It says in Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace through faith. So there's the grace side, but there's also the side of our free response. They're both true. Calvinists had a problem with that, and so did Methodists. You know, this idea that God works first in a sovereign way, but it's up to us to respond. And for me, the biggest part of this, seeing this, uh, which I think applies now, is this emphasis on, on the love of God. Again, that would match your Wesleyan side. On, on the love of God and the bottom line of this as a love of God. Now, I'm going to point, pose you a question, Jim. might be a bit controversial to some of our listeners, but I think this gets at something that, that makes this verse apply, I think, even more to now. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you three things, and I'm going to ask you what you think in the eyes of God is the, the order of priority of these three things. Now, I'm not implying an either or as if some of these aren't important to God. They're really a both and. They're all three important. But if you were to say which of these is first, second, and third, what would you think? Now, I'm going to give you in a slightly different order. And then you decide. Number one, in the eyes of God, that we live perfect, pristine, sinless lives. Number two, that we are completely faithful to the precepts of the church, the rituals, the sacraments, following all the rules of the church. Number three, that our hearts have been completely surrendered to him, that our hearts to the core fear him, trust him, and love him. So what do you think in the eyes of God would be the priority? I would say in the eyes of God, number one is number three that we are to love him and put him first. If we do that, then number one will become number two. That is, the sanctity of our lives, the purity of our lives, the sinless of, sinlessness of our lives will flow out of that by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're following God and his precepts, and if we are being holy, the precepts of the church will just fall into place. That's number three. Uh, that's yeah. the, the, I don't want to say the, 
that it's not important. It is important, but it's like the wall of a playground. The precepts of the church are there to keep us from falling off the cliff. But when you're in a playground playing, you're not thinking about the wall. You're there playing in the loving oversight of our loving Father. And that's what he wants. He wants us to love him first, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And by that, we will be sanctified. And then the laws of the church will be there, but we don't have to focus on them. Yeah, well, you know, this to me is addresses something that God warned his people about from the beginning of Scripture all the way through Old Testament, New Testament, and into the teaching of the church. Because God said very clearly many times, I don't want your sacrifices. Right. I want your hearts. And now Luther interpreted that as meaning all he wants is faith alone and nothing else. That's not what he meant. There was a priority system. And the danger is that that we can really look like great Christians. We can have cleaned up our life so that we can walk around as perfect models of what it means to follow Jesus. And we can be diligent in the practice of the precept of the church, going to Mass every, every time we have. But yet our hearts may not be turned to God. We may not love him. And I know that can happen over time because I've known people as a pastor. And Jim, I imagine you've known people. We don't know people's hearts. But Jesus says their fruits will let, you know, that the danger is we can look at someone and say, well, they must be fine. But in the process, we might find out, does this person really know Christ? And as you were saying, Jim, that th there's an order to this that's important. Now, as parents... It's important for us to bring up our children to follow the rules, follow the Ten Commandments, to live pristine lives. Of course, we're called to be holy and to make sure our kids are faithful in the precepts of the church. And we hope that in the process, their hearts will be turned. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes people can, can blind themselves to think that they're fine with God because I do these things and I do that. And I'm reminded of that scripture from Matthew that says, uh, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, because we can blind ourselves. But as you said, Jim, when our hearts are right, everything else. Definitely. Because we want, we want to be holy. And when we fail, we were repented. That's what set David apart from all the other kings of Israel and Judah. It says that his heart was right with God. Even though he was a murderer and adulterer, his heart was right with God. And to me, this verse is also an explanation, a simplified explanation of that thread of what you might call the eternal covenant, as Isaiah calls it, that the, the way of the two ways of God expressed by Isaiah, the hand of our God is for good upon all that seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all that forsake him. So they've known this, uh -huh. that, that all their lives, as Paul is writing them to, and, and we know that from our Catholic and Christian teaching, that our hearts are really what needs to turn towards God. And when our hearts are right, in the midst of trouble, in trial, we know that he's in control. That's key. 
All right, Jim, what do you got for us today? I've got a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. And it reads, And when he, that is Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O men of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I think this is very pertinent to our current situation. You on several occasions have said that right now with the pandemic, we are in the midst of a perfect storm. And it is. And sometimes in the midst of a storm, we can think, where is God in all this? Or we can blame God for it. But as with this, as I was going to say, as as many of the psalmists do, you know, yeah. Lord, where are you? You know, yeah. why don't you help us like you used to help people way in the back? Where are you? Why are you letting this happen to yes. us? Yeah. And the disciples could have thought, uh, could have said, why did you let us go out in this boat when the storm was coming? And it's interesting, quite often when we hear this passage and other passages read, uh, at Mass, you know, the lector will say, Save, Lord, we are perishing. <laughs> but it's the midst of a storm. The boat's being swamped by huge waves. It's windy. It's loud. And the Greek, it's all in the vocative. They're yelling. And again, the word order is different in the Greek as it was with Romans. The word order in the Greek is save. No, I got it wrong. The word is Lord, save, perishing. <laughs> They're yelling, Lord, save, perishing. Now, what they thought he was going to do, this rabbi, that these um, fishermen, who obviously had been out on the sea before when it was storming, I don't know. There must have been a little spark of faith, even though he said, oh, men of little faith. But they thought he could do something, either that or wanted him to join in on the panic. I don't know. But when there is a storm, our Lord doesn't want him to join in on our panic. He wants us to know he's with us. He's known this storm was coming all along and that he has power over the storms of the sea. In the Psalms over and over again, it is the Lord God who alone has power over the storms and the sea. So in some ways, this was a learning experience for the disciples. Who is, what sort of man is this that he has power over the storms and the sea? When they knew from their scriptural experience, it's God that has power. Excellent, Jim. I, this is a great verse right now. And, and, uh, um, I'm going to just add two things to your thing, mm -hmm. I, I, and I agree with you. Um, you had mentioned that, 
you know, that they must have had some kernel of faith. What the thing that gets me when I've more recently looked at this passage was that the final verse in this little paragraph, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And to me, that implies that at this point in their journey with, this is not in the end of Matthew, this is this is right after the Sermon on the Mount. Right. So, I mean, they don't know Jesus all that well yet. Um, and so there's really no reason to believe that it even crossed their mind that this itinerant teacher could still the storm. I mean, that, that couldn't have been the reason they would have said, Lord, save us. You know, um, they didn't expect that. Um, in fact, as you were saying, uh, if you picture instead Jesus not being asleep, he's just awake with them and, and all of a sudden he's with them and, and the storm comes, he would have just been a part of the team to figure out what to do. But the problem was he's asleep over there. He must have been a sound sleeper. How how can he? It's almost like that's what they were really saying. Good Lord, how can you? How can you be asleep in the midst of this? You know, it's that that by it baffled their minds. So he also must have come prepared because in other passages about this incident, he's sleeping on a pillow. Yeah, exactly. How many people take pillows on fishing boats? He had one of those, what's that, those perfect pillows that are yeah. advertised on TV, you know, one of those little things. He had one of those. It was just so good that it couldn't break him out of sleep. But so if that's true, if, in other words, if these guys had no way of expecting that Jesus could really do anything about it, then why once he woke up did he say, why did he say, oh, men of little faith? What was the issue? What was lacking? And so to me, I've seen a different part of this, Jim, and I wonder if you refer, is that it's after the Sermon on the Mount. It's connecting with their entire Jewish faith, the whole gospel, which means that we're only visitors in this life. We're pilgrims in this life. We're citizens of a different place. And that's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom not this stuff. So it's almost as if, guys, what are you afraid of? You know, the danger is in this time that we're in is that we're all caught up in a fear of death. But death isn't the worst thing that can happen to us. It's just a stepping stone. It's a continuity from one part of life to the next. I remember when my mother... Uh, had had a heart attack, and she was in her final days, and she was all hooked up to all those things, and um, she couldn't speak or anything, and she finally, after a couple of days, couldn't talk, and she communicated to me, take this stuff off. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I've known her faith for years. And when I had to meet with the doctors and the nurses, and they were all, you know, they, they were saying, well, you know, she's 80, whatever she was, 83. We can give her a bypass. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking? And I remember standing in the hallway with two doctors and three nurses, and they're wondering, what do we do? And I, I stood there, and I, I said, guys, let me tell you something about my mother. And I reached out my arms, 
full length. I can't really lift my arm up now because I'm still recovering from surgery. But I lifted up my arms and I said, you got to understand, my mother understands that this is life. But then I said, and then I took one hand and, and made this little six inches. I said, in her mind, this is life on earth. For her, life is a whole lot longer. Right. She's ready. And I think there's a little bit of that in this verse, Jim. Yes, we need to keep all of this in perspective. God has known from all eternity that the coronavirus was going to come in the spring of 2020. And it's what do we do with it? Do we panic? Do we lose faith in God because this has happened? We've had pandemics before, one just a little over a century ago and many others before that. God was involved in that and people got through it. We need to keep our eyes, as we said earlier when we were talking about Romans, focused on Christ. All Let the rest will another... fall together. Oh, I'm sorry, Jim. Let me throw in one more thing in. Mm -hmm that to flex with this because, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at James. Well, there's a passage in James we looked at a couple of weeks ago that, you know, remember James is an apostle. So when he wrote his letter, he's, he, it's an early letter and he's reflecting on what he learned from Jesus. And most of James is a reflection on the Sermon on the Mount. But there's one particular verse, which seems to me, Jim, to where James is, is talking about this very experience when right. he says in, in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, if you don't quite get it, <laughs> if you don't quite understand, if you don't know how to count all trials joy, he says, well, let, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproaching, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, will receive anything of the Lord. Right. James was there. Mm -hmm. He was in that boat. And he remembered seeing the eyes of Jesus look at him and say, where's your faith? Right. Where's your faith? And so in the midst of this time, just as you've been saying, Jim, in the midst of this time, who are we looking at? Who are we looking at? So, Jim, how do we bring these two verses together? I would say, uh, as I alluded to earlier, keep our eyes focused on Jesus. In the midst of a storm, in the midst of this pandemic, keep our eyes focused on God. And if our eyes haven't been focused on God, use this opportunity. Use this extended length that we've been given. This two-month retreat that we're all on to focus on God and also to, to pray for other people. Pray for the people that are being more closely affected. You and I have so far gotten through this healthy, but not all have. Use this time to pray for those who have been ill and pray for those who are alone and are not able to see people who are tempted by de depression and despair. We can use this opportunity for great good for us and for the kingdom. 
Yeah, and certainly Jim and I aren't pointing fingers at anybody else. We're talking about ourselves. And I right. I can't remember if I made this this application earlier in this, but we were talking about, you know, what's the higher priority, our hearts or our, you know, our, our sinful lives or our faithful practice of the sacraments and all that. And they're all important. But if there's a, an order of priority, of course, is our hearts, because out of pure hearts, as Jesus called the first beatitude, poverty of spirit, leading to purity of heart. You know, what's going on inside here, folks? And if it's right, if, if, if we're humbly fearing God, trusting God, loving God, then out of that will come a desire to be holy and sanctified. Out of that will become a desire to meet with our Lord in the sacraments, to receive his forgiveness and confession. You know, that that will come. And what's ironic about this time, Jim, is, you know, there are some of us that maybe become so complacent with our lives that we think we're just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're living lives that look good to everybody else. We're going to the sacraments all the time. And maybe we've taken what's going on inside of our hearts for granted. But right now we're living at a time where we can't go to the sacraments. Right. And we're not with anybody else. We can't show them how good we are. We can't put on that, that clown suit. (laughs) It's just our heart. And maybe it's the people who know us the most that we can't fool. Right. And so now's the time to examine our heart. Lord Jesus, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. How can I be a better husband, better father, better grandfather, better friend? Maybe this is the reason God's given us this time. Because, as you know, you and I have talked about, Jim, when, when things are going great, we take it for granted. Well, maybe things weren't as great, but we thought they were. Right. This is an opportunity to get our priorities straight. All right, Jim, thanks for joining us, joining me on this opportunity to share these verses. And God God be with you and Lynn during this time. Hope it's all fine down there. And you and Marilyn also. All right, Jim, thank you. And thank all of you for joining us on this episode of The Deep in Scripture. I do hope to hear from you. And please know that we're with you in prayer. We're all going through this together, folks. So let's keep each other in prayer. God bless you. See you soon. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.